If you have a Bible today, let's open up to Job chapter 2. I think as we continue through the book of Job, we'll probably cover more ground. But tonight, we're going to just cover one chapter. As we look at this, uh, getting ready to get into the poetical aspect of the book, the, the suffering of man and the sovereignty of God, and what an awesome combination that is. How many of you here want to suffer, just out of curiosity? You know, most people would say no, but let me just tell you something. Even though I, I kind of don't want to go through those things, I don't want my family to suffer, my wife or my kids or anyone in the church for that matter, I know that without suffering, there will, no, there will not be any depth of character. You know, if everything gets handed to you on a silver platter and you never go through difficulties, then, man, God doesn't have that opportunity to really meddle with the middle. And what we find, and sometimes you meet people and you're like, man, I, 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 just, I see the depth of character in that individual. And what you'll find a lot of times is the reason for that is because they've suffered. You know, I was thinking of one man in church history. His name is Samuel Rutherford. He was born in the 1600s in Scotland, and in 1627, he got his degree, and he became a pastor in a church in Scotland in a city called Anwath. And it was a country parish, and he was there, and it was kind of nice, but the people were scattered over the hills. This guy, uh, Samuel Rutherford, he had a pastor's heart, and he would wake up every morning at three in the morning and he was just ceaseless in his labor for the Lord. Um, he would, uh, they say, he was always praying. He was always preaching. He's always out there visiting the sick. He was writing. He was studying. And uh, this, this guy really had a depth of character, even as a pastor. You know, most people, when you study the life of Samuel Rutherford, they, uh, they know him for the way he preached and what they describe as a man who preached the loveliness of Christ. And so that's how he was primarily known, but he was also well known for the sufferings that he endured in life. If you get a chance, I encourage you to read some of his writings. Um, early on, uh, he had a, a child die, and then, and then another child die. And for a parent, that's got to be one of the most difficult things you can ever face in life. And then a year and a half after becoming a pastor, his wife became ill. Next thing you know, she died. Now, if that wasn't uh, bad enough, what ended up happening is in 1936, and so he hadn't been a pastor for a long time, but long enough to fall in love with his congregation. In 1936, he published a book uh, expressing his beliefs about salvation, and so when the English authorities found out about it, they banished him from the church that he loved, and he was exiled to Aberdeen. And so for him, all these things compounded. It made life difficult. It was an awful trial. This last one, not being able to minister in the place that he felt that he belonged as their pastor, to him, he said, was almost unbearable. But you want to know what happened as a result of that? As a result of him being exiled, he began to write letters to them. 
And he wrote letter after letter to the people in the church. And what we have now, I don't know if you guys knew this, we have the letters of Samuel Rutherford. There's one book that has 365 of them. Those letters would have never happened unless he went through the hard times. Now, what does he do? He's influencing the church today. You know, we have that illustrated in that passage in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. You guys remember it? Uh, But as for you, uh, Joseph told his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about as it is this day to save many people alive. And so you remember the story? His brothers turned against him. They sold him as a slave. But God put him there in order that he might save his people. You see, that's what we got to know about suffering. Another illustration over in Romans 8.28, I know we know this passage, but it says we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And Paul could write that, man, because this guy was a guy who ended up like Rutherford in prison, like Bunyan in prison. There's Paul in prison. And what's he doing? He's also writing letters that turn out to be inspired by God and belong in the Bible. And so, you know, here we are studying the book of Job, uh, another amazing book, maybe the first book ever written in the Bible And what's it about? It's about suffering, right? I mean, when we look at this, written on the life of Job, who suffered so much heartache, you wonder why, I think in a large part, though, he suffered for us. Because as we look at his life now, it's on display, we learn about suffering from many different angles. And we, as we read this, are encouraged to talk to God, to trust God, to take it to God, no matter what it is, and we would never, that we would never, ever give up. Because even though it looks so crazy bad, God is still on the throne and he is working something out that's good. And we gotta trust that. We see that truth displayed for us in the book of Job. One other thing I wanna share with you guys before we dive in I don't know if you uh, have ever studied out that passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 9, but there's an interesting passage there that says that we are made a public spectacle to angels. Did you guys know that? We are a public spectacle to angels. Now, the Greek word translated spectacle is the word theater, where we get our word theater from. And you know how you and I, we go to the movies and we watch Hacksaw Ridge and all those kind of different movies, right? Angels kind of go to the movies and they're watching us. Isn't that crazy? You know, we see that in the book of Job. I mean, Satan and the angels are watching the people of God. And, you know, I know it's, uh, we, we you know, that, that shouldn't be our final motivation for obedience. Ultimately, Prayerfully, we do what's right because we know God is watching us. But I tell you something, man, it, it kind of it awakens another part of me unto obedience to know that not only is God watching me, but angels are watching me and demons are watching me. 
and demons are watching me, and they're like, hey, watch, watch him right now. Watch what he's going to do. I'm going to give him this little temptation. You got these two demons, man. They're trying to take me down, and then when I do fall, I can almost visualize those two demons going high five, you know, and they're all happy because they brought me down. I mean, think about things like that. But we, as we obey God, can be a testimony to to the Lord who's watching us, to angels and and demons who are watching us, and to fellow Christians that are watching us. I'll tell you this, man, and I've seen it in my own life. When I see people respond in a way that is supernatural, that is godly, that, you know, when they hear the, the news and they say something like, Joe, blessed be the Lord. Naked I came, naked I shall return. Blessed be his holy name. When I see people do stuff like that, I tell you what, it impacts me. And this is how we're supposed to respond, even though it gets hard. And even though we pour out our heart to God about the struggles we have, we do not deny the Lord. Because that's what Satan wants to make us do. We begin reading here in Job chapter 2 and verse 1. It says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before God the Lord. And so I trip out on this. I'm like, man, what's this presentation all about? And who are the sons of God that are presenting themselves to the Lord? You know, when you read the Bible, at times the phrase sons of God is simply a reference to believers or children of God. We read that, uh, for example, in Galatians 3 verse 26, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And so when you simply place your faith in Christ, you become a child of God, you become sons of God. And we read that there in Galatians, also in Matthew 5, 9 and Romans 8, 14. But at other times in the Bible, the phrase sons of God is in reference to angels, including the fallen angels, And we see that in Job chapter 38, verse 7. Uh, We see it in Genesis chapter 6, verse 4. And so whether it's angels or, or humans, we have to discover that by looking at the context. This right here, this day, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, what we find is that these are angels. And it's a trip when you think about it, but they're checking in, reporting to God, including the fallen angels. And we mentioned one right here, he mentioned Satan, who we know his name means our adversary. That's what Satan means. And so he is against us. He wants to take you down. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to ruin your family. He wants to take you to hell. That's his agenda. Satan is our adversary against us. But the cool thing is that God is for us. See, and when we go through the scriptures, this is what we got to know, the battle that we're in. And so what we find is that these angels are able to present themselves to God Uh, One day, uh, the day will come when Satan no longer has access to heaven. We read that in Revelation 12, 7 and 8, 
where the Bible says that war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon. The dragon is Satan, and the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. And so, you know, until then, it's just, it's just crazy how, you know, the Lord and the angels, and they're all kind of accomplishing his will, and they're offering suggestions, and they're meeting, and it's weird. There's a really interesting passage in 1 Kings 22. If you get a chance, I encourage you to listen to it or to read it. But there you'll find uh, King Ahab was going to be taken down by God, and the demons are actually in front of the throne of God, angels. And one of the demons says, I'll know, I'll take him down. I'll just go and be a lying spirit. And so that's, those are the things that, that go on, right? We see they're presenting themselves to God. And then what happens? Look at verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from Almani. No, I'm just joking. From, from going, hey, sometimes it feels that way. From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there was no one like him on the earth, a blameless, an upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. And so the Lord questions Satan and then commends Job here in these passages. Uh, Satan's doing what they call uh, planet control, right? He's uh, cruising up and down the earth and kind of seeing what's going on, what trouble maybe he can stir up. And then as the, Satan gives you know, his report, then the Lord brings up Job uh, there in verse 3. And he says seven things about Job that I think are really cool. Um, number one, he said he's my servant. He's my servant. Have you considered my servant Job? And let me just say something to you guys. That's probably the best title that you can have. You know, when you're a child, you're born again by faith. Praise God, you're saved. But now what? Are you a servant of God? Secondly, this is crazy. He says there's none like him. That's amazing. Out of all the guys on planet Earth, God says there is no one like Job. You know, and although we're not competitive uh, as Christians, I would love to have that title as well. You know, to love the Lord with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And that was a commitment that, that Job had. Number three, the Lord said he was blameless. And that meant that any accusations against him wouldn't stick, not because he had a slick lawyer, but because they weren't true. There was nothing about him that was wrong. I mean, not that he was perfect. Everybody sins. But man, this guy was right on. And just as a quick side note, before we go, we continue to go through the book of Job, even though he's blameless, he still has room to grow. Or we're going to see that as we go through this book. And that's why, one of the reasons why anyways, he goes through what he goes through. Because at the end, he knows the Lord and he sees him even more. The fourth thing that the Lord mentioned about Job here in verse 3 is that he's upright, and that means that his walk was right. 
that he walked right in the sight of God, his moral journey as he lived his day-to-day life. Number five, the Bible says that he feared God. The Lord acknowledged that about him. There needs to be a healthy reverence of God, you know, uh, that he's awesome and that he'll give you a thrangasso if you get out of line, you know, those types of things. That's actually good. Not that God's ready to beat you up, you know, whenever you mess up in the slightest, but there should be a healthy fear of God when we displease him. That's where Job was. Sixthly, he shunned evil. And that means that he not only turned aside from it, but he avoided it. And, and even though 10 of his children died, 10 children died suddenly and violently, and even though he was living his life to the point where he was living, in one sense, innocently and righteously, they all died, and he lost everything. He lost his wealth. The Lord says, even though you did all this and you told me that he would come against me, the Lord says right there in verse 7 that he holds fast to his integrity. You know, guys, church, don't let go of your integrity. Don't let go of, of the real you being real before God. You know, integrity is such an awesome thing. Satan tried to break him down and make him bad, but he didn't. What we find right here is Job didn't let go of his integrity. How many of you think it would be cool if God was to brag about you? How many of you guys think it would be cool? You're like, I don't know. I know a story. I'm not sure about this, man. Hey, there's my boy, you know, and I can list all of your names right here, man. And what if the Lord could say stuff like that? So what ends up happening in verse 4? So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in your hand, but spare his life. And so Satan split. He went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. You know, Job was right on. Like a lot of you here are right on. You're right on. But Satan says to God, you know, if you lift the, the hedge, if you lift the limitation that you gave me earlier uh, back in chapter 1, verse 12, you said I couldn't touch his body. If you lift that and you allow me to lay a hand on him, if you touch him, if you torture him, and you allow me to get to his body and his bones and his flesh, then Satan says, surely he will curse you to your face. You see, Satan reasoned in in one sense. He said, you know, Job can probably have more kids. And Job could probably go and and make some more money. And so his reasoning, although we know it's a little warped, his reasoning was, man, he can get all those things back, but if you take his health away, then he can't. And so the Lord says, okay, I give you permission, but you can only go this far. You can't kill him. Imagine that. I mean, man, being able to go to that very edge. 
You know, that right there, I think, I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I, I think that, that that doctrine is very comforting. You know, something so comforting to know is revealed in this exchange, and that is that Satan can't do anything unless God allows him. You see, everything that takes place on planet Earth must be filtered through his heart and through his hands. And if it does pass through his heart and his hands, then we know that somehow, someday, some way, God will make it good. You see, nothing happens to us that hasn't been filtered through his will. We're going to see it at the end of the book of Job. But here the Lord says, okay, he gives him permission. As soon as he's given the green light, the Bible says that he went out and he struck Job with painful boils from the bottom of his feet. Imagine that. I mean, you can't even walk to the very top of his head. I would imagine, and again, I don't know how this all works, but I would imagine that there probably was not a square inch on his body that wasn't covered with painful boils. Now, just as a quick side note, in case you're wondering, that doesn't mean that every physical calamity is done directly by the devil, but sometimes it is. Uh, for example, Matthew 9, 32 through 33, we read about a man who couldn't talk because of the fact that he was demon-possessed. In Luke 13, 11 through 17, we read about a woman who was bent over, severely hunchbacked, Jesus said, for 18 years, demons, Jesus said, had done this to her. And in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, the Bible says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, Paul said, lest I be exalted above measure. And so, um, you know, it's not always the devil who does those things, but sometimes it is. You know, we were in Bible college class yesterday and a gal uh, raised her hand and she asked for prayer. She was going in for surgery for, uh, she was on a missions trip and she was uh, struck. And so as we're praying for her, I mean, I don't know, I, I really sensed that as she was on this mission field and she suffered this calamity, I really sensed it was the enemy. Sometimes it is. I mean, not always. Sometimes it's just natural. You know, we live in a fallen body and a fallen world. But um, sometimes it is the direct intervention of uh, the devil. Uh, so in Job's case, of course, we know it was. And there he was with painful boils all over his body, sitting in ashes of mourning, scraping himself with a piece of broken pottery. You know, we're not sure what Job had, but um, I'm sure it was as, as bad as it gets. Maximum pain and maximum shame. Um, some scholars say that it was a severe case of smallpox. Others say it was uh, elephantiasis or something like that. I don't know how to pronounce it. Elephantiasis. And uh, that's a condition characterized by gross enlargements of areas of the body, especially limbs. Um, other areas commonly infected include the, um, uh, the lymphatic system and just different things. 
But here's the thing. I'm pretty sure. No, I shouldn't say that. If, if I had to guess, I would say that what he got was a thing uh, called, uh, what's the name of it here? Pemphigus foliaceus. Maybe Dr. Ray can tell you what that is. I, I, I don't know if I pronounced it properly, but it seemed like the symptoms that we're going to read about throughout the rest of the book of Job match that diagnosis. Let me just read to you some of the things that Job experienced uh, uh, through this illness. Uh, this disease, uh, Pemphigus foliosus, as attested by physicians today, matches the symptoms of Job's afflictions. Inflamed ulcerous sores, itching, degenerative changes in facial skin, loss of appetite, depression, loss of strength, worms in the boils, running sores, difficulty breathing, darkness under the eyes, foul breath, loss of weight, continual pain, restlessness, blackened skin, peeling skin, and fever. And as you go through the book of Job, those are all things that he acknowledges, that he says that he suffered from, and they all match up with this disease, okay? So if you don't want to be grossed out, close your eyes, but we're going to show you a couple of pictures here. Uh, some of them are not so bad, but um, this is some of the pictures of, uh, of this disease. Uh, so this guy right here, you see he's kind of covered up in his face. The next picture, I don't know if you can see it from where you're at, but it shows that it's not, they're, they're not just flat. Okay, they, they come out from the body. And the next one on the hand, you'll see, sometimes they're not small. Uh, sometimes those boils, uh, they, they, go, they go deep and they go out and they protrude. And, and I would venture to say, again, this is the, the devil, you know, trying to, to bring Job down, giving, getting the green light from God. God says the only thing you can't do is kill him. I would venture to say that he's covered from head to toe with all these things. It's interesting. They say this particular disease, the ashes would actually comfort the boils. And so again, not 100% sure, but you know, um, this is probably what it was or something like it, right? And so imagine that. You're thinking, well, it can't get any worse, right? Wrong. <laughs> I'll tell you what, it probably would have been okay if it was just Job and the Lord. But in comes, and we're going to see, ladies, no offense, but in comes his wife, and then come his friends, and they make matters worse. And let me just say this as a quick side note. You know, if someone you know is going through a hard time, you know, God can use you to comfort them. But if you're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit and if you, uh, you know, are, are judgmental in your attitude, you can make things worse. Oh, something bad happened to you. Oh, you must have been a sinner. You know, God's getting you. You're, the devil's talking through you sometimes. Be very careful. We need God to guide us even as we counsel others. Look what happens next in verse 9. As this whole thing's there, Job is uh, sitting in the midst of ashes. His wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. 
But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. You know, in one sense, you guys, I pray that you'll never be anywhere near this. But in one sense, I kind of pray that you will. It's a hard thing. And as you're there and you, you know, you're, you're, the devil just wants to make you curse God and die. It's a temptation towards damnation. Do not listen to those lies. What we believe is that Satan spoke directly through Job's wife because the very thing that Satan wanted Job to do curse God and die, was the very thing that she said. You know, his wife um, should have offered comfort and, and wisdom, but instead she only aggravated the situation. She only offered that ultimate temptation. I mean, it, it wasn't just like homicide, it was like suicide. Curse God, die, Right? And it wasn't just a, a physical death. I think that there was something about like a spiritual death here. I mean, when you die cursing God, that's not good. What it is at the end of the day is it's the agenda of the adversary, right? John chapter 10, verse 10, the Bible says, a thief does not come except to kill, to steal, kill, and to destroy and what we find is that the devil can speak through anyone. Did you guys know that? You know how God lays things on your heart? The devil can do that too. And he shoots his fiery darts into people's minds. And the very words he knows how to slice a person up. He knows what will make them fall. He has this agenda. Man, he can speak. He can dictate through others. Warren Risby said, yes, Satan can work through people who are dear to us. You remember Matthew chapter 16 when Peter tried to tell Jesus not to die on a cross? He said, not so, Lord, never. You'll never die on a cross, right? And so the Lord in Matthew 16, 23, Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, who? Satan. Satan. <laughs> you ever say that to your spouse? Be careful, be careful. <laughs> he says, you are an offense to me for you are not mindful of the things of God but the things of men. Let me just say this. Most of the time, our, our spouse is right. You know, most of the time, they're there. They're giving us a perspective motivated by love. And you guys listen to your spouse. But not always, okay? Not always. Uh, do you ever wonder if Adam regretted listening to Eve? You ever wonder? And then there's Abraham and Sarah and Ishmael. What a headache that was, right? Later, it was Moses and Zipporah when God almost killed him because he was listening to his wife who told him not to circumcise her sons. And so, you know, we, that can happen. Uh, be very careful. But at the same time, and I don't want to be hard-hearted here, we need to show her grace because she lost a lot in all this as well. And now it looked as if she was losing her husband. And you know what the Bible says about women? No offense, ladies. 
but you're the weaker vessel. A lot of times, not always, but a lot of times women have the tendency to be more emotional, right? And so we're not going to beat her up too much. All I'm trying to say is, you guys, um, be careful <laughs> what you say. And, and husbands, uh, wives, make sure you follow the Lord and you always do what's right. She doesn't pass the test, but Job does pass that test. And in doing so, he gives us one of the most important principles in all of life, that we have to accept good from God as well as what we would interpret to be evil. Right? That's what he says right there. He says in verse 10, you speak as, as one of the foolish women speaks. What's he saying? You're speaking like a pagan. You're speaking like a non-believer. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? You know, we, we got to know this principle. How can we accept evil, though? <laughs> That's hard. Evil men, evil angels working their evil against us and all they do. How can we accept it? And, and the answer is because we have a God who, like I said earlier, somehow, some way, someday will work it all together for good. And church, no matter what happens, you got to trust him. And when you do and that calamity comes and you say, praise God, praise God, it's then that you're growing as a Christian. It's then that you're trusting as a Christian. You see? I mean, we have a God who will work all things together for good. You know, we used to sing that song by Matt Redman. You guys remember it? Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, when I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when the sun's shining down on me, when the world's all as it should be. Blessed be your name. But blessed be your name on the road marked with suffering. There is pain in the offering. Blessed be your name. And then he goes on to say, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back to praise. And when the darkness closes in, Lord, still I will say, blessed be your name. I never forget. I think I've told you guys this story, but one day my wife and I were driving up to a drive-through ATM, and we pulled behind another car, and it was getting you know whatever their transaction out of the ATM, and then you know we pulled up when they pulled off, and then as we my wife put her card in the ATM, you know she stuck it in there. That car that was in front of us it backed up, and it planted right in front of us. And then homeboys, they got out of the car and they started coming towards us. And so my wife is in the driver's seat and she knows, I'm thinking, what's going on? And she knows what's going on, right? And she you know, just puts it in reverse, she backs up, and then she just drives away. She got away. Because you know, what are they trying to do? They're going to rip us off, right? And you know what she said when we were leaving there? She said, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We lost our money, right, or whatever. We don't know what's going to happen with that. And it was just so cool for me to see there 
when you're in the middle of it, to praise the Lord. Right? Oh, no, what are we going to do now? You know, I can't go to Disneyland or whatever it is, you know. <laughs> the Lord is so good. There's a good passage in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 14. It says, In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other. You know, and so we got to know both good and bad. Lamentations 3.38, it says, Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? You know, Job understood this. And so we read there in verse 10 that he did not sin. Notice again, in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. How many of you here, you sin with your lips all the time? A lot of people, they struggle with that, huh? We have to be so careful. Job understood this, and he was moved and motivated by love and not selfishness. You see, we need to know that we're going to be tested in, in every area, financially, in the family, physically. Will we pass those tests? Let me ask you a question. No matter what happens, will you continue to serve the Lord. You know, we can quote Romans 8.28, but do we live it? Do we believe it? Or are we one of those who serve God only when life goes according to our will? You know, years back I had a friend who literally walked away from the Lord with eyes wide open because God didn't give him a girlfriend according to his timetable. And he literally told me, he said, if God loved me, then why wouldn't he give me a wife? And he walked away from God. You know, there are some people like that. He went on and he married a non-believer and just a lot of crazy things have happened in his life. Job wasn't like that. You know, when... This whole thing went down. We find that Satan was wrong about Job, but he didn't give up, right? He uh, amplified Job's struggles by speaking lies from his family and even lies from his friend. We're going to get into that next week. But in verse 11, what ends up happening, it says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, Each one came from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite. Bildad, the Shuhite. He's one of the shortest guys in the Bible, Shuhite. Um, Zophar, the Namathite. He's an ancestor of Joe Namath. Um, For they had made an appointment together to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar... And did not recognize him. They didn't even know it was him. They lifted their voices and wept. Each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his grief was very great. And later we're going to see another friend named Elihu comes. We're not sure Uh, if it's maybe later down the road. But, you know, when they saw him, they just uh, wept, tore their robes, covered their heads. And think about it. 
didn't say anything for seven days. You know, there have been times, many times, where even me, you know, like I know the Bible and I'm a pastor, I don't know what to say. All I can do is maybe give a hug, just let them know I'm praying for them. You know, and then some people start talking and that's when they get into trouble. These guys right here, they eventually, they weren't silent. They should have stayed silent. They eventually became accusing attorneys, prosecuting attorneys, and condemning judges. You guys, be careful with that. You see something happen to a person, and then like another bad thing, and another bad thing, and you know, you're thinking, oh, they're all bad. They did something wrong. You know what? Maybe they did something right. You know, we're not God. We need to be very careful in these situations. Sometimes it's just best to say nothing, you know, just to be there. I wish these guys would have stayed there. Be careful that you don't become condemning judges. You know, Mother Teresa is quoted as saying, if all you do is judge people, then you'll have no time to love them. And there are some people that's all they do is judge, 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 judge. Well, when are you going to love? And isn't that our call, to love people? Even Shakespeare said, love all, trust a few, and do wrong to no one. And I like that. That's where we need to be. Unfortunately, these guys, they didn't stay silent. They became miserable comforters. We're going to see in Job chapter 16, verse 2. Let me, quote, let me close with a couple of things real quick. Wiersbe said this, the best way to help people who are hurting is just to be with them, saying little or nothing and just letting them know that you care. Don't try to explain everything. Explanations never heal a broken heart. If his friends had listened to him, accepted his feelings and not argued with him, they would have helped him greatly. But they chose to be attorneys and judges and in the end, the Lord rebuked them. And they had to ask Job's forgiveness. And I wonder, and I, I don't know, you know, but I wonder if one day when we stand before God, some people who are always judging others, some Christians, I wonder if God is going to rebuke them because they didn't humble themselves. You know, it was hard for Job. But you know what? It's not too hard for God. And I don't know what God has in store for you guys. Uh, chances are, you know, our bodies are going to eventually break down. Chances are things are going to happen to our family, you know, to our church. We're going to go through difficult times. But as we do, I pray that we would never give up. You know, when life is difficult, it's easy to give up. But let's not take the easy road. Let's take the right road. Let's take the high road. Let's take the road less traveled. Even the road never traveled. You know, if Christopher Columbus had turned back, you know, nobody would have blamed him, but nobody would have benefited from him either. Christopher Columbus kept going, and he is, he is credited with discovering the new world. And for us, you guys, when the enemy comes in, he says, curse God and die. The enemy comes in, he says, split, quit, don't serve, whatever it is. Man, I want to encourage you guys never to listen to him. If we want to make a difference for good, we're going to have to endure the bad without giving up.
Just like Jesus, huh? Who endured the cross so that he would save us. God is good, huh? He's going to help you through your hard times. I wish I, you know, I could take it all away. But then again, I wish I, I, I don't wish that at the same time. Because you know it's good for us, right?